Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Are you looking for a unique learning system that is designed to recover learning loss, demystify learning, and make learning fun and easy? Then take a look at what Fearless Learners has to offer. Fearless Learners by Success Codes where all children can learn and grow fearless with a learning success coach by their side. Their certified learning success coaches make learning easy with their proven holistic coaching methodology, which is a unique and superior alternative to tutoring and teaching in all subjects. All of their coaches are certified teachers as well as certified learning success coaches who've left the school system to create the right environment to provide customized, and personalized learning experiences. You can find them at learningsuccessacademy.com. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. I'm Robin Robertson, and welcome. This is episode 154. So before we head into this wonderful interview with my friend Liana Francisco about growing up unschooled, I want to remind you, or I want to let you know, that at the time of this recording, we are heading into we're getting a sneak peek into spring of 2023. And as spring is slowly on its way, so is How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler Summit. This is our third year hosting the summit and it continues to grow. And this year, our theme is the powerful piece, purpose, persist, play. And the summit is live March 24th. We have amazing keynotes and workshop and speakers. Our purpose keynote is going to be given by Leah Bowden of Modern Miss Mason. And Leah is so good at laying the foundation and helping helping to clarify the purpose that fits your unique family best. And I also love the fact that she's in the United Kingdom and offers a different perspective from homeschooling in North America. Because we want to remember homeschooling is worldwide. It's not just happening in the United States or in Canada. And I know the listeners of this podcast, most likely you, are on so many different countries around the world, tuning in from various spots and locations that are not even North America. So, you know, I think it's great to have more representation from different, different parts of the world. We also have, to our keynote, Persist, the homeschool guru, Julie Bogart, speaking to Persist. So Julie's a homeschool veteran. If you don't know her, check her out. Brave Writer is her company, and she's worked with thousands and thousands of families, building a love of literacy from the early stages all the way through. She's an author to two best-selling books, Brave Learner and Critical Thinkers, and she has such charisma and passion and experience that she brings to this table, to, to the summit, and I know you're going to love hearing from her. And Mr. Chaz is our keynote to play. He is an educator. He's actually a parent and teacher coach, and we're excited to have him speaking to the parents about a shift in perspective and why play is a nucleus in learning and parenting. 
And we have wonderful Kelly Edwards, who's the co-founder of the summit, along with myself. But Kelly is serving us a wonderful workshop in supporting neurodiversity. And then our other workshop is on supporting self-directed teens, and that's going to be brought to you by myself with a few special guests. So the summit is one day. It is live, March 24th. The summit is free to attend live. So you can pop in at any time, but I recommend you register for your free ticket so that along with it, you also get the goodies that come with registration. So that means a wonderful digital swag bag filled with freebies and resources, services and discounts for your family and home learning journey. We have wonderful sponsors to help make this summit more accessible, like Night Zookeeper is sponsoring Play, Learning Success Codes is sponsoring Persist. Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids is sponsoring Purpose. Erica Kesselman, Conscious Parenting Coach, is sponsoring the Supporting Neurodiversity Workshop. And 90 Minute School Day is supporting my workshop of self-directed teens. Then our other wonderful sponsors are Storytopia, you know, that app that allows you to find fantastic podcasts for your kids. And Amanda Schakenberger, who you've heard her, her business is supporting the summit as well, you've heard on the previous show. So the digital swag bag that you get is absolutely worth the free registration because it's discounts from unique publishers um, on books. There's a five-day conscious parenting mini course included from Erica Kesselman. Um, Night Zookeeper offers discounts as well for their program. Learning Success Academy offers a um, consultation. We also have Eat the Rainbow Guide, Encouraging Healthy Eating at Home from Hardy and Free. Um, also, a, a one-hour free coaching for developing your own entrepreneurship program at home or with friends and hosting a children's business fair from Stacey Piercy. These are just a few examples of the digital swag bag. But if you can attend live, no matter what, you get the digital swag bag as long as you register. But we are offering the recordings the digital swag bag, a PDF of the keynotes and workshops, as well as our annual movie watch party after the event and a post-event live Q&A group coaching session with Kelly and I. So you can, if you can't make it live, you can purchase that package. And it's only $37 for that package. I mean, you can go live and get the package and get all those extra goodies um, post-event with us as well. Just go to howtobeanawesomehomeschooler.com. I'll have that in the show notes too. All right, so that was a big briefing on How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler Summit, March 24th. It's coming up. Go to that website and find out more and register or purchase your wonderful special package. So now for this episode, 154. It's a familiar voice. My friend Liana Francisco, who is an unschooling parent herself, and she's also a grown unschooler. And it's just us talking about growing up unschooled. And as we head into the summit and my workshop on supporting self-directed teens, I really want to showcase stories from grown homeschoolers and unschoolers. And as you listen, this is my request, write down questions that come up. If something said, pause it and write something down. If you want to know more, if you want to go deeper, what do you want to hear more about? Or, if, but what about this? If that comes out, write it down and then send me those questions. Email them to me, send it to me on my website or DM me on social media, and then I can talk more to those specifics in the workshop as well. So enjoy this episode. 
All right. Welcome. Today, I have Liana Francisco on the podcast. Liana is a friend of mine, and I'm looking forward to this conversation because I find that, number one, we love to, I find we really get in the flow when we're together and we can chat about all things parenting, childhood, learning, unschooling, self-directed education, homeschooling. But also, Liana always provides excellent insight as a grown unschooler. So as a parent right now who has teens, and Liana, who is also a parent of young children and has grown up unschooled, I think the insight and examples that we can provide and that essentially she can provide are important for many parents to hear. And we'll definitely discuss a lot of the questions, the fears, the concerns, especially the big one, but will my kid be okay? (laughs) How will they turn out? And Liana, welcome. I'll let you maybe provide a little bit more information about yourself. Thank you. Oh, first, I just want to say it's so fun to be here, Robin. We um, really met on Clubhouse a few years ago. And then when we the really first time we talked really was as a podcast interview that I did for you a few years ago. And um, it feels so different talking to you now, especially because I didn't even really know what people in the homeschool community needed to know back then. I feel like that's the biggest thing that's different. Now, obviously our relationship has shifted, but it's, it's just so interesting to come at the conversation from a place of knowing what's useful for people and what's not. So, um, so thanks for having me again. So um, a little bit about me, like you said, I'm a grown unschooler. I'll be 40 years old in March. Uh, This is 2023. So um, I was unschooled in the eighties and the nineties with two brothers, one just younger and one just older than me. And so the world was very different back then for unschooling, for homeschooling in general, but really for unschooling, it was a, it was a radically different time to be making that choice for your children. Um, and, and, you know, the, the big spoiler alert question is I did turn out just fine. So I was able to transition successfully to college when I was 16. Um, I have an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree. And then a little bit later in adulthood, um, in my early 20s, mid 20s, I got a master's degree in public administration. I've done so many different careers already, even though I'm just barely turning 40. I've um, done a management consulting career. I owned a restaurant. Um, I've done all sorts of different types of consulting things. I am currently part of a whole food um, vegan plant food business where we do wholesale breakfast sandwiches. So I'm just always doing all these different things. And it feels like that question of what are you going to do when you grow up has just dissolved to me. It's not even, there's no pressure anymore in my life to be like, what am I going to be? Instead, now I just live. And I feel like that was a big lesson of unschooling, right? It's like, you just take it day at a time and you um, live your life fully without expectations of what something has to be. So what my life looks like right now is I'm a parent of a five-year-old, almost six-year-old little boy. I am also a foster parent. I have currently one little guy with me who's um, almost eight months old, and I've had him since he was born. And before that, I had four other foster kids in 2022. Um, so that's that's a whole thing. And then, like I said, I have the breakfast sandwich business. I love to hang out with you on Clubhouse and talk about homeschooling with people. And I do a little bit of management consulting, still always on the side. Um, 
but that's what my life looks like. And right now it's starting to feel like, yeah, releasing that pressure of having to be, get somewhere. That's what it is. It's releasing the pressure of getting somewhere and just accepting that I've arrived. This is where I am. And it's always where I'm going to be. Right. So do you think that accepting where you've arrived, do you think that that just comes with, you know, reaching a milestone, an age milestone, or do you think being raised in that different way really added to that? Like that foundation was being built back then when you were young as an unschooler. I think that, I mean, when I was younger, it was as a younger adult, I very much had this thought of still needing to get somewhere, which I think is just our culture, right? Like we have this, you, you got to get there. You got to get to the place <laughs> where you're going to be and arrive as an adult. Um, and I think I thought I got there several different points when I was younger at different times. Like, oh, I got married. Okay. I got there. That was when I was 21. I started in, you know, sort of having a management consulting career that I was proud of. Okay. I've gotten here. Oh wait, that's not for me. I, I bought a restaurant. Okay. I've got here, you know, but there's all the different like things that you feel like um, get you there. But I do think that for me to be able to accept that life comes at you just as it comes at you and, mm-hmm. and it's okay to enjoy where you're at and not think that you need to be anywhere else from that. I do feel like, even though I didn't learn that when I was younger, I think it's come with age. I think that my upbringing has helped me come to that realization as well. It's just like, oh yeah, it's like, it's like grounding back down to the right. core, right? It's like, oh wait, I don't have to do it their way. You know, you got unschooled mm. for all this childhood years, right? And then I jumped right into college at 16, you know, college, work, master's degree, work, entrepreneurship, parenthood, you know, like all the different things that you do. And, and then I, I feel like I'm just kind of like reverting back. It's like, now that I'm the unschooling parent, it's like, oh, I don't have to do it that way. That's right. Oh yeah. I learned that when I was a kid, I don't have to do it like that. So it's almost like a return to those values. Right. Right. I get that. Okay. So maybe we can talk about those values. If, you know, if you're listening and you, this is your first um, introduction to Liana, maybe I, first I suggest you go back to the original podcast episode that Liana was on. Since then I've actually have, Liana's been on the podcast quite a bit because I've shared quite a few of our rooms that we've done on the podcast as well. Our, our clubhouse rooms, our club rooms from Honey, I'm homeschooling club on clubhouse. So you probably have heard, if you're a regular listener, you probably recognize Liana's voice. You might be familiar with her story. But when we're talking about values, what are some of the values that your family or your parents had uh, that influenced their choice in homeschooling? And I think like, like you say, when you, unschooling was not a word for you guys, you guys were homeschooling, but you're just still also doing it differently. What was important for your family growing up? What was important values that homeschooling or unschooling supported? Um, I think the number one value is, you know, is autonomy. You know, neither of my parents had experiences they were happy with in public school um, for very, for very different reasons, but they, um, neither of them had experiences that made them leave saying, that's a great place to have spent my childhood. <laughs> um, and so, um, I think, you know, uh, for, for both of them, I think there's a real sense of desire to be free and to, um, make choices that are right for you. Um, rather than choices that have to work for everybody and might be okay enough for you. It's almost like not settling for the compromise. 
right? Um, in, in how you're going to raise your kids. Um, and, and not just accepting that just because this is the way it's usually done, um, that doesn't mean we have to do it that way. Right. And I feel like that was a huge value in, uh, in my family growing up was this thought that we don't, they, other people might do it that way. Other people might expect us to do it that way, but there's, that doesn't mean we have to do it like that. Um, and that I think is a huge, um, a huge piece, the huge value that they had. I think they also wanted us to enjoy our childhood. And my mom has talked a lot about connection. I mean, now I would call it that, but she always said, I didn't want to send you guys to school. I like you too much. <laughs> she just likes being with us, right? So she didn't want to send us away for all those hours a day. She wanted to be the one that got to take care of us because she liked it. She wanted to be around us. Um, and I feel like homeschooling is so rarely talked about in those terms, like so simple as just like, I want to, I want to raise my own kids. You know, it's usually people feel like they have to have this big reason yeah. why, you know, like, oh, well, the school systems around here can't provide this, this and that, or I have a kid that's unique in this specific way, or, um, you know, we have some values that are not expressed in school and, or there's something going on in the school that we're not comfortable with. And so we have to homeschool. Like for my family, it felt like it was just as simple as that doesn't feel right to us. And we want to try to do it this way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because, you know, it's true. So I have to have all this big reasons or this is my top yeah. five reasons why, or, you know, and this is what I have to, you know, I have to own it this way. And it's just, uh, yeah, I just want to, I like my kids. I want to spend some time with them. We just want to do things our own way. And this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. So then for your family, how did it play out? Like, I think, um, so I know, for example, um, you know, one of the questions that gets asked often are things like subjects. If you are doing something like homeschooling or specifically unschooling, uh, how will you ever really learn the things that you need to know? And one of the big things that comes up is math, for example. And I always refer back to you because I know that you didn't take formal math classes through your childhood. You absolutely can do math. You did do math in order to get into college, uh, but it looked very different than what we think of starting math in like grade one or kindergarten or whatever, however you want to lay it out per grade kind of thing. So how did your parents approach, like in the very beginning, were they, did they say, okay, this is how we're not going to do it? Or was it more like, we're just going to do it day by day and let it roll how it needs to roll? You know, I... It would be interesting to ask that specifically of my parents, like what their perception was, because, you know, obviously I have little kid memories, right? So like little kids, right. only they remember yeah. highlights of life, right? right. So because yeah. we were unschooled from forever. So it wasn't like there was a point at which they sat us down and said, all right, this is how we're going to do school. <laughs> you know, it was just um, what life was. But I do remember that um, there wasn't a pressure or an expectation that we would, quote, do school. And we had homeschool friends that did that. You know, it was like, oh, they'll come over after they're done with their school time. Or we, we'll go over to their house after lunch or meet them at the park after lunch because they'll have their school time in the morning. Um, and that was basically their book work time or their time when their parents would um, have some sort of lesson for them that they would all learn as a family. 
And for the most part, we didn't do that. I do remember some attempts at schooly things throughout the years where my parents, I think, might have gotten nervous <laughs> on occasion, right? Because they didn't have podcasts like this to listen to, to be told it'll work out just fine. Um, but, you know, they would attend to a curriculum fair or something like that. And they'd come home with all these great math, like math manipulatives or, um, you know, some sort of writing supports, you know, things like that, that they would... Um, try out over time. And I do remember even when we were quite little, we had these little desks that I don't know if at some point my parents thought we might sit at them for school. Right. <laughs> um, and that certainly never happened. But, you know, that was kind of the thought. So I think there was periods of time where my parents thought we should be doing more to support their academic learning. And we would attempt it for a little while and then would always just go back to what worked best for my family. Because again, they were just sort of feeling it out. So there wasn't um, a structure or an expectation that we were supposed to be learning specific things within specific timeframes. That just wasn't um, what was happening in our childhood. We were surrounded by a lot of educational materials. And I do think, particularly when we were younger, things were offered to us. Like if you felt like doing some math, Liana, this is the math, these are the, you know, the books that I think would be good for you. Um, or if this brother wanted to work on his cursive writing, I have this workbook for you over here if you'd like to do that. You know, it was that, that sort of a thing. Um, and I did like doing a lot of workbooks when I was a little kid, just because I thought it was kind of fun. Not math workbooks, but I like to do like writing workbooks and cursive writing and stuff like that I thought was um, a good way to spend my time. Uh, but so it really, it wasn't so much about what are we going to learn to make sure that we're keeping up on academics. It was more like, what are we going to learn? Because what do we want to experience? So we would do fun things with friends um, where we would learn, we would study something all together. You know, now someone might call it project-based learning, right? Where we would all, we were going to study medieval times and we'd all get together in a little type club type setting and study medieval times. But I don't think the parents sat down and said, how are we going to incorporate language arts? How are we going to incorporate mathematics? How are we going to create? That's, that wasn't what it was. It was like, oh, they want to make puppets. Okay, let's make some puppets. Oh, they want to make swords and samurai swords and uh, European knight swords. Okay, we'll figure out how to do that. Now, it was, it wasn't, uh, it was still very child-led. It was always child-led. And I don't remember our family having the kitchen table arguments about workbooks. Hmm. I was aware of them. Friends definitely had them. I was aware that sometimes there would be stress for my parents about us not knowing a specific as, a, as choosing not to engage with something, like for me with math, the older I got and the less math I knew, the more uncomfortable my parents were. My mom's also expressed being very uncomfortable with um, one of my brothers not learning to read or and not focusing on reading, not being interested. He didn't know how to read, but he wasn't interested in reading for a lot of his childhood. And that made her really uncomfortable. Um, so I remember that feeling of, oh, is this okay? But I don't remember being told, you got to sit at the table and do this math, Liana. And then eventually her giving up. I don't remember that if that hit, did happen. I didn't catalog it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So then I, I know anyone who's maybe new listening uh, or maybe not, maybe, maybe you've already heard these questions or, or you know about this, but it's always good to hear again. Uh, you know, my first thought is, okay, anyone who's just recently tuned in, who's maybe, maybe just stepping into the world of unschooling or self-directed learning, then how did these kids learn how to read? 
how did Leon and her brothers, if they never did any formal lessons, if there was no stress in this, how did that ever happen for them? Yeah, um, we were read to constantly from before we were born. And I think that's a huge thing about creating learning environments that are ripe for learning, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you raise your kid in an environment without um, the written word, without them being read to, without that, it, it's going to be pretty hard for them to learn how to read, right? But if they are surrounded by um, that form of liter, that type of literacy, um, then they are going to pick it up over time. And I think the big thing that I hear from people so often is, but when, but when, but when, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it might be okay if a five or a six-year-old hasn't picked it up yet, but people are real stressed out when their 11-year-old hasn't picked it up yet, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, so really my, my family's personal experience was that we were read to so often, sitting next to somebody who was reading to us, that over time, we would just sort of take a stab at it, right? You just sort of begin. You're um, when you're living in a very literate environment, you you start to recognize letters of the alphabet, and you know it's kind of hard not to learn the alphabet if you're a little kid who reads any children's books at all, because every other little kid book is an alphabet book, you know. Right. <laughs> um, the animal book is an alphabet book, but you know, and back then right. we didn't have um, the internet, so when you wanted to look something up you had to get the encyclopedias out and you mm-hmm. had to understand how the alphabet, um, you know, the sequence of the alphabet in order to look anything up. And you would see your parents doing that over and over again, and adults in your life and older kids doing that. So it's just, um, if you're living with people and in deep relationship with people who are reading all the time and including you in that, it's difficult for you not to pick up those skills. My younger brother, we talked about, I mean, my parents talk about the fact that he was really, really never even supported in learning how to read. Like my, my older brother and I would be supported in the fact that we would start being interested and, oh, what does that mean? And then mom would help us sort of sound out the words, you know, that sort of a, of a thing. But my younger brother, again, with having so many literate people in his life, he just started reading things. You know, it's like the back of the cereal box. What does this word mean? You know, the street signs at three years old, he was just reading stuff. Um, and so I think it's it's different with absolutely every kid. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that makes people so uncomfortable. And what I always tell parents with the reading aspect is when your kid has utility for it, they will do it. Right. Yeah. With and yeah. with anything, yeah. they will do it when the utility is there. So if you have an 11 year old that still is happy to be read to by his parents or by older siblings or by people he knows um, and just doesn't have utility for it yet, hasn't been in an environment where they felt uncomfortable with the fact that they couldn't read, mm-hmm. then they're, it's going to take them a while to gain that skill. But it doesn't mean they can't gain that skill when they want it. And I think that's the big fear that people have is what if they never learn it? Right. Like, well, how many grownups do you know that grew up in safe, healthy environments that don't know how to read? Right. And it's not because they went to school. It's because if they're growing up in a safe, healthy environment, reading is part of our culture and part of the way we communicate with each other. Um, you're not going to be able to cook recipes. You know, it's like, there's so much that you need to know. Um, and so much that you get out of a book, even nowadays with YouTube, being able to tell you how to do all sorts of stuff, you still do need to know how to read. Um, and I think that it's, it's a natural thing that it'll happen 
when people want it, but you can't make your kid want it. Right. I think that's the thing that is so stressful for people, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and I think other times, instead of making them want it, it's forcing them and no other option. And then just, you know, maybe, maybe they do catch on to it or resignation and then all of the different things that follow along with that. So yeah, absolutely. And I know many examples of kids who read later and really the big key was the utility that they found. Like they wanted to learn how to play this video game and no one, and they had to learn how to read in order to do it. Or they discovered that in order to get something, they needed to know how to read it in order to, you know, there's so many stories. And that's even kids who started going to school and still didn't pick up reading in school for the first how many years. And then it was later homeschooling that the utility became apparent. That was their motivation to really learn how to read and then go from there. Well, and I think people also discount how much skill their children actually have. You right. know, if your kid is yeah. navigating a tablet, if they're, they probably know what the button subscribe. They could probably spell subscribe. Mm-hmm. They could probably spell buy. They could, you know, they can. Like, there's, sure. um, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, I think there's so much that we just sort of think because they're not reading in this way we expect them to. And it doesn't look exactly like how we expect it to look yet, or they aren't doing it in the right order. They aren't building their skill in the right sequence of how we think people should learn that they're not, they're not learning it, that they're not taking it all in. But oftentimes when someone is left to learn naturally, they will do it in sort of a different order. Um, My, my son, for example, almost six years old, we've done no drilling of numbers or letters or anything with him. And or any sort of formal learning like that, but he has picked up a set of subtraction and addition flashcards that someone left at our house, and he is so into it. And we have an abacus, and we have these flashcards. And because he has a desire to do the addition and the subtraction with the abacus, he has mastered his number recognition for these number. You know, sometimes he gets sixes and nines messed up, you know, things like that. Eights and nines, he gets, was getting messed up until just the last couple of weeks. And so many parents I knew were like, Francisco cannot identify ones through, through 10. Did you know that? I'm like, yes, I have zero problems with that, right? <laughs> but, and all it took was like, you know, a, a week with this fun thing he was doing and his number recognition is impeccable and he's doing subtraction and addition. So it's like most people would think, well, there's no way you can do subtraction flashcards with a five-year-old that doesn't get to have their number recognition. You have to do that first. Right. Yeah. And right. that's not what you have to do. <laughs> and all you have to do is explain any, any math problem to him, um, in chocolate chips and he can do it in his head mm-hmm. you know you had seven <laughs> chocolate chips and I took two away how many did you have five <laughs> like instant so it's all about like utility and interest and um and it's okay for them to learn it in a jumbled sort of way in the way that makes sense for them but it's hard for parents to recognize learning when it's not in a linear schooly sort of way Absolutely. Because you can't Absolutely. check the box. Yeah, that's right. That's, it is. You can't evaluate it with those yeah. same same tools. Yeah. And that's what makes it so uncomfortable for so many Yeah, because you can't check the box. You can't evaluate because we are often, and this is what I find often with also unschooling and self-directed learning. 
the questions that come up are still comparing it to the linear check the box way of learning and thinking within a system, the school system. And so you're always trying to take something out of the box and fit it into the box. And then the frustration comes when you can't. And then the fear comes. And it's, you know, you really, you know, we talk about de-schooling a lot because essentially it is that shift of saying, okay, you know what, maybe I can approach it from, you know, they should have been doing these phonics sounds first and then putting together these digraphs and then doing this and then sounding it out so it sounds like this and then this next step and this and then this next step and then this reader. And, you know, it, it's like you said, the natural way of learning, often the steps are going to look completely different, totally yeah. different. You'll And maybe you'll enter at a completely different phase. It's not the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing that's the scariest for people. And what I try to help people understand is, and I know I've said this in our rooms before, but if you are choosing to educate your children differently than school, you are going to have different results. Yes. And and I think people sometimes have a hard time with that reality. Totally. Like they think, yes. I want to do it my own way, natural learning, follow my child. But secretly, I actually want them to always be at grade level. Yes. Or at least close enough within my comfort zone. And that's just, it's a its a mismatch of expectations, right? Um, so I just try to say it real clearly to people. And, and the way I was raised and the way I'm choosing to educate my son is, is life without school. Right. It's not this instead of school or this for a while and then maybe school. It's like, it's, it's as if school doesn't exist. It's not even there. We, we just live our lives as, yeah. as if we were on the prairie and there was no school available to us. Right. Laura Ingalls Wilder. We're just learning because we're living, you know, right, um, right. I want to read this book on the shelf. So I guess I better figure out how to learn it. Right. Uh, my son wanted to buy a vehicle that was being advertised to him on a tablet. And he said to me, oh, I wish I could read. I can't find out which buttons the buy button. You know, that's <laughs> his utility, right? I want to buy it. Um, so he wanted to read because he wants to purchase a Mercedes that was being advertised to him. You know, like, Wow, that's some good targeted ads. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a very good targeted ad. I'm not sure what that was about. But um, <laughs> anyways, but it's life without school. I think that's the thing that's really important for people to remember. And if you actually want life without school, you have to stop looking over your shoulder at school. Thank you. Yes, I think that's the biggest thing of it. And that's the biggest part of getting comfortable and or stepping out of that discomfort. If it's life without school, living as if school doesn't exist, then we have to stop comparing and trying to put everything into that school box. It, yeah, it's and it's like, not like learning doesn't exist. Learning exists still. Learning oh. existed well before schools ever existed, you know? Um, so yeah, we have to stop doing it over and over again, all the yeah. time to ourselves. <laughs> That's right. It's like living on a tropical island and trying to prepare for a snowstorm and getting your parkas and mittens and stuff. And it's like, you're most likely not going to have a snowstorm coming up or it's snowing at Christmas time. Like you could have a tree, but it's not going to look like you're not going to do the same things as if you're living in my neighborhood in Canada. If, uh, you know, we're on the island in Jamaica, it's just not going to be the same. So, yeah. yeah. And, and the thing for parents is, well, if I don't look to school, how do I know what? if they're okay? Yes. How do I know if they're okay? How do I know if I'm not messing it up and screwing them up and, and failing? 
How right. can I tell? So how and do you know? Yeah. Well, I have really different standards than I think a lot of people. I feel like the if you have happy, curious kids <laughs> um, who are excited to learn something rather than scared to learn something, if they discover something that you don't know and they say, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to learn more about that. Or, oh, that's not interesting. I don't want to learn anything about that and just turn them off the other way. But happy, curious kids um, and good relationships within your family, that's it. Like, I don't separate education from parenting in that way. Mm. It's not different. It's just, just like your kid learns to potty and your kid learns to feed themselves and you teach them all these things. You can also teach them the learning competencies and those skills that they need. And when they've outgrown the things you know how to teach them, you simply find that you help them learn how to learn things because that's the skills they're going to need for the rest of their lives is to find people and resources to learn things. And I don't have the belief that you have to have learned everything you need to know by the time you're 18. <laughs> like that's a pretty weird, that's just like a weird thought that it's like, we're going to pour into it eight and then at 18 years old, you're going to be done. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to learn anything else. It's just not real. It's like a weird construct we created. Like we always have to keep learning. So whether your kid gains mastery of the types of skills they learn in school at 13 or 17 or 24, it doesn't, from my perspective and the way I live my life, that doesn't really matter, right? They will, it's what they will learn what they need to learn when they need to learn it. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, the question of, are they okay? Am I screwing them up? Am I messing up? It's like, well, compared to what? Like, what do you mean? Are they healthy? Are they happy? Are they curious? Are they enjoying their lives? What else do you want from them? Like, how else would you measure success? Right. Yeah. That's, I think, and that, that's the biggest thing. How else would you measure success? Like, what is your yeah. measurement of success? How would you define it? It matters. Yeah. And if it, it, if it is success for you is within a school definition, then if you're trying to match that with unschooling and you're having a hard time and you're like, how do I let go? But really like, you know, I've gotten the questions like, okay, so we are unschooling, but how do I get my kids to write every day? Or, you know, but what about, and, and you know, sometimes, and if you want, or like, so, but what, but we're unschooling, but what is the math curriculum that you recommend while we do this? Or, yeah. and you know, you still can have that. And I must just say some have that and love it. You know, my daughter does math and she's done it for years, right? She, and she's, she does Khan Academy and just, you know, um, there's, they're not a sponsor or anything, but that's what my kids have really enjoyed. It's actually a free program, free website, free app. And she enjoys it. And I would say in, like, that's her math curriculum. And it has been for years, I, you know, and I think it, it's not that you can't have one, but probably the difference is, is that it is my daughter, it's child led in the way that it's her, you know, it's her, she wants to do it. She wants to, she, she has, it, it's not me saying you have to do this within this time and you're successful then because now you've completed this math grade or this math level. It, she has her, uh, her own, um, like her own 
goals or values or reasons why and self-motivating for for doing this math program. And she enjoys it. It's the one that she connects with. It's actually outside of, it's a school subject, but our goals and expectations around it are not led by the construct of school, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's so many, absolutely. And there's so many things that people, especially as they get older, will identify a desire to do. And there's certain things you have to do to to gain those skills and to learn those mm-hmm. things. Like, you know, I wanted to go to college and in order to qualify for this um, community college program where I got to go for free as a high school age person, I had to test into a certain math level. And, you know, when you go to college, you have to be able to, there's proficiency exams and you have to do work at, and, um, at certain levels, right? You just have to be able to do that because it's part of it. doesn't matter what degree you're getting pretty much anywhere. They're going to tell you, you have to do this much math, the basic, the general education requirements, right? And so if you want to play that game, if you want to go to school, if you want to do those things, you have to, there's stuff you have to accomplish in life, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the difference is a parent saying, you have to do this by this time, because if you don't, you're not complete in some way. Right. Like it's not, you're not good enough. You're not, yeah. yeah, you're not good enough not or learning. we're not good enough. Right. Or something. And I feel like for me now, my perspective is very much like young people. What, what older unschoolers need to be learning is, is totally dependent on their goals and their desires and their interests. You know, if you're, if you want to be able to go to a four-year university at 18 years old, absolutely. There's some stuff you're going to need to do. And if you don't do those things, you're not going to be prepared for that. Just like if you wanted to um, get a job as a professional welder right, when you're 18 <laughs> years old, there's some stuff you're going to need to do. If you want to be a professional dancer, there's some stuff you need to do. So it's, um, I don't get why these, why we think people need to have specific academic skills by 18 years old. Right. It's um and the reality too, which you work in education know this, there is a huge variation in what 18-year-olds that went to school actually have as far as skill competencies. Oh, at, It's a huge range, yes. even the ones that sat through school for 12 years. Yeah. So to pretend that there's this standard that is achieved by going to school is just also a myth, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it makes us all feel better thinking that there's yeah. a standard that everyone's at. Yeah, we we just believe it without really looking further into it yeah. or, or questioning it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah. No. Okay. So should we tackle some more? And I think we are really talking about a lot of the questions and fears and doubts that come up with it. What else? Is there anything else as well that maybe we haven't talked about or that you've been asked lately that you're like, you know what, we should maybe talk about this a little bit more because this has been coming up a lot lately, questions that people have or an experience I'd like to share that maybe you haven't yet or we haven't heard very much of um, yet. And I do want to say that when Leanna and I talk about our conversations on Clubhouse or when we're referring to a room, we, um, well, we have been, you know, we, we've kind of slowed down in our club. We still host a room every week now. It's Tuesday afternoons, evening. But Liana and I have done quite a few rooms. It was Saturdays mornings. We would do a room based on connection as a basis of our family and home learning. And then we've done various rooms at different times throughout 
really on all aspects of family home learning life and schooling, self-direction, all of those questions um, and tackling those fears or doubts that homeschoolers have, homeschoolers and unschoolers. So is there something that you want to to share that is a big, I know you've talked about, um, and I'm trying to remember, did we, I don't know if we talked about math on and, and that experience either. on the last podcast episode. You've definitely talked about it, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll hand yeah, it over. So we can, I'll, I'll try to work the math story into this. So, you know, I think one of the big things that I hear from people a lot right now is unschooling is being talked about more. Oh, I heard, overheard the best conversation at the library the other day. These, these moms trying to talk, like explain what unschooling was and they were pretty close. And they're like, but have you heard of this thing? It's this new term that everyone's using. And it was so cool. And I, I finally gave them your podcast information. Oh, um, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing that I hear so much right now from people is, but unschooling, letting the kid decide what they're going to want to do, that isn't real life. And mm. how are you going to teach your kid how to succeed at in college, in a job, in real life? if they get to call all the shots. Right. Sort of energy, right? And I'm purposely saying that with an obnoxious tone because I feel like there's an energetics to that um, that is about your kid is going to have a sucky life. So let's, um, <laughs> they're going to have to learn to be controlled by other people. And so don't you need to teach them that when they're younger. And one, I reject the whole premise, like the thought that like you're going to have to, submit yourself to things that you don't want to do as an adult. Um, sure, like the dishes have to be cleaned. Sure, you have to figure out how to support your family. You might not always love your job. But to think that like you're just going to have to resign yourself that your end that the end <laughs> the end is that um you're not going to be happy with what time you wake up in the morning and and how you spend your day and how your boss talks to you. Like, I just reject that that's a something to teach our children that is okay, you know? So that's number one. But number two is when people are self-directed, they are good at doing anything they set their minds to. Right. So as a self-directed person, if you're desiring to keep a certain job, if you're desiring to be good at that job or get good grades in college or whatever, you figure out what is required to do it. And then you do it really well, not because someone's watching over your shoulder, but because you have an internal motivation, right? So if you, um, you're going to show up to work on time because you want to show up to work on time, not because you were shamed how many times by your parents or by being late for school or there were some horrible consequences. And so now, you know, you always show up on time to work or you had to, you had to drag yourself out of bed when your poor little teenage body couldn't do it. And you did it anyways, just so you showed up to school on time and you learned the hard lesson of that. It is so much easier, in my opinion, to live life where you're excited for it, <laughs> you know, where you're making choices that, um, but you're moving towards instead of pushing against things that feel hard. And the more times you get to practice that autonomy of choice, that autonomy of doing something because you want to do it, you get really good at that feeling. And it's actually not that hard to do stuff you don't want to do as much because you want the end result. And you understand that in order to get results you want, you have to put in the work, right? Right. Like, I don't know any unschool kid that's gained a skill 
without putting in hard work. Yeah. And it was self-directed hard work. It wasn't because their parents told them they had to. And so I think it actually speeds up maturity in a lot of ways. And I think you end up with 15 15 to 25-year-olds that um, are very independent oftentimes and do their own life exactly how they want to. And it's usually, um, you know, light years ahead of what other people their age can do as far as um, responsibility, I say in quotes, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So one example of that from my life was at, you know, I've been unschooled. I wasn't required to do things I didn't want to do. I mean, we had to help clean up around the house because we were humans who lived with other humans and (laughs) had some responsibilities there. So, I mean, there was definitely some structure from that perspective for sure. But when I was 15, that's when I wanted to prepare to go to the community college the next year. And I didn't really know much math. I mean, I could make change. I knew a lot of math related to tripling a brownie recipe because, you know, why would you only make one batch of brownies if you can make three batches of brownies, right? So, I mean, I could do the basically the type of math that most grownups use in their day-to-day lives, right? Yeah, <laughs> math, you know, yeah. yeah, I could, I knew how to I could, you know, budget something. If I had a 20 bucks in my pocket, I knew how how to go buy groceries with that 20 bucks and how to not overspend at the grocery store. You know, like I could do all those things. Um, but I didn't have the formal math learning and I needed to get there. I needed to get to about an intermediate algebra level before I could get into this program I wanted to get into. And so my mom and I talked and she said, how do you want to learn it? And she offered me a math tutor. And we had a friend that was another homeschool mom that I'd known my whole childhood. That was a um, a tutor, a math tutor. And so I had like a 20 minute lesson a week in math from this math tutor. My little brother had the other 20 minutes and um, he was working on very advanced math. And I was working on, we started in with long division, I think is where we started. I was 15. So we did long division all, I might've been 14 getting ready to turn 15. So we did long division all the way up to the intermediate algebra that I needed. And it was like half a school year hmm. and it's not 20 minutes hard. A week. <laughs> yeah. I, I put in way more than 20 minutes a week, but that was how much I had with my tutor. So right. she would get the book out. She would do the lesson, make sure I understood the work for the week. And I basically did like a grade a month, hmm. sometimes hmm. more than that. And it wasn't difficult for somebody with a strong um, belief in their ability to learn and with a lot of time on their hands (laughs) and the design. Um, And so I, I would spend usually my lesson was on Friday mornings. I would spend all day on Thursday doing math and I would wake up early. I'd get a cup of coffee and I'd sit there and I'd do math until I went to bed. And then on Friday, I would show all my work to my teacher and I'd get my next next batch of math, which she was giving me enough to do several hours a day was the idea, right? right. But I just did it one, I do one, a 12 hour day and call it good. Um, but even that was important for building your study skills, right? And your ability to, you know, am I going to procrastinate? Okay, I have to accept the consequences of this. I wanted that result. My mom also was very clear that you know, the first session that my math homework isn't done is the session when she's done paying for these tutoring sessions. And I had money. I could have paid for the tutoring myself if I had wanted to, right? So I knew I could have had that backup option if I really needed it. Um, But I was able to do it. And and I think people are shocked by that. When they hear that story, they think, you must be so smart. 
you must just be like a little math prodigy. You're just a genius person. And I don't think that's true. I think I'm a person who was confident that I could learn something because I hadn't been beaten down that I can't learn. Right. And that's a huge, I had no hangups about math. Yeah. I wasn't bad at it. I just didn't do it. And that's that's everything. That's everything. How many people are going to study what basically remediation of a subject without baggage around? Right. It's not a thing. You know, people come to come to learning something later in life than the typical person learns it. And they think that there's something wrong with them from it, you know? Right. And they approach it that way or with all the baggage they had the first time they tried to learn it or whatever the case may be. And so I think it's really hard for people to actually imagine what that's like to come to a big learning challenge without being worried they can't do it. Mm. I had no thought that I couldn't do it. And still I approach learning that way. I've, I've had friends that have commented to me whenever I'm um, gaining a new skill how did you learn that? How did you do that? It's like, well, it's not like it's hard. You yeah. know, you just have to try the work and tried it. And yeah. 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 I, I think that's a big thing as well. I think that's another misconception is this idea of like unschooling being this free, hippie, frolicking life in the fields and that there's never any work put in. And I think that was really important when you you said, you know, for most unschoolers that you know, you know, they put in hard work. They become really good at hard work because many times they have the time and the space to focus on something that they're really interested in or want to learn more about or get better at. And so they put in those, that time and hours and hard work to learn it, to do it, to experience it, to practice it, to work in it. And I think that's missed a lot of times. Sometimes I think it's like, oh, it just, there's osmosis and it's for these people who are just all of a sudden they've, you know, discovered this new formula and theory and it just came out of the flowers. And what's missed is so many put in like these intensive hours, essentially of getting better, of experiencing it. And, and then what happens as well is when you put in the hours, (laughs) you just, that's basic math, like you put in the effort, you put in the time, you put in the practice, you become better skilled at something. And when you're younger, doing it at a younger age, instead of waiting until you're 21, 22, 23, then you are able to have mastery a lot earlier than peers your age at that point as well. It's almost like just the basics of math in that formula as well, in that life formula. And it just is different for people yeah. who don't have the time because they're in school doing those other things uh, in order to to put that practice and hard work in. But there is hard think, work with unschooling. Yes, that is missed somehow. Is. And I think that 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 piece about having time mm-hmm. again, I think that's something that people can't quite conceptualize. Right. Because maybe they've never experienced it. Right. If you go to school, you you're born, you go to daycare, you go to school. You go to aftercare, after school, in the summer, you go to some sort of, you know, summer camp programs in the, all day long, um, and then you go to college, and then you go to work. It's like the feeling of being a 12-year-old that wakes up in the morning when they feel rested, mm-hmm. that does things that they are passionate about all day long, that is so much time. 
It is That's so much time. <laughs> and, you know, one of my brothers, he was super, super into music as a child. And when he started being about 12, 13, he started playing at music with the local high school's band programs. And just because we lived in a very small town, there wasn't wasn't other music available besides at the school. And so he started going to the middle school and doing that. And his, it was a small school and his teacher would identify holes that they have in the, in the band department. Like, oh, we need, we need another clarinet on this piece. And he just send my brother home with a clarinet and the music. (laughs) And my brother would just figure it out so that he could do that. And then, you know, oh, we need it. Someone has to play the timpani you know, and just send him home with the timpani music and tell him to come early and practice it. So it was, and people thought, oh, he's a musical genius. He's playing five instruments in that concert. It's like, yes, he is very talented. Let's not undercut him, but he works, he works hard at it. And he had three more hours in his day than your kid did. So, you know, it's like, I think that people forget, like, if you want to, you have time in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I laugh because I see the same with my kids as well. Yeah. Right. And it's like people like, and yeah, sure. There's some talent in some areas, yeah. but people, and I, you know, now I try and say, okay, but just remember that they put in the hours they do like even with sports, like, you know, you know, my daughter has been, my son is playing volleyball for the first time in his life ever. He's doing great at it. And people are amazed that he's 16 and just picked up volleyball and just doing like it. Yes. He's naturally athletic. He does have a natural athleticism, but he is also putting in the time. He like worked with a coach, you know, him, my daughter and and my niece, all they, he joined there. My niece and my daughter had this one coach that they worked with for once a week. And then he joined once he came back home from his, like from his work, then he joined that. He like goes to the gym and practices when he's not at his club practice, practicing on his own, like his hitting his skills. He's watching videos and same with my daughter, but she's watching videos. She's watching games and tournaments. She's rewatching her games. Like, I don't know how many kids, like she's 13 and she rewatches every game and makes notes like, okay, this is what I could have done differently. This is where we had a hole. This is this. And like, so it's not just the physical aspect. It's also the mental aspect of analyzing the game and understanding how things move and work with that as well. But, you know, they're putting in those hours. They're putting in that time. They have that time to put in that time as well. So yeah, it's often missed that, you know, that extra definitely goes a long way as well. Yeah. And I think that, I think sometimes, I don't want to say it's like in a rude way, but I think sometimes people think it's indulgent to give your children time to do what they love. Yeah, absolutely. People think that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're just going to be spoiled to not understand how the work real real world works again, that you can't indulge in those things. Yeah. And I think that that's like maybe a little bit of, you know, collective trauma that we have, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that there's something not okay about doing something that you love doing, you know, and that you have the time to dig in fully. I mean, when there's something wrong with giving the time in order to do that, because then you should be doing something more productive. Yes. Yeah. You're wasting your time. I know when my younger brother was a teenager, he would wake up in the morning you know, not really the morning for most people. Most mm-hmm. people would be mad that this kid wasn't out of bed yet, but you know, 10, 11, roll out of bed 
he would not go to his closet to pick out what he was going to wear. He would go to his closet that was full of bolts of fabric and decide what he was going to make to wear for the day. Interesting. He would then sew his clothing for the day (laughs) all day long. And then he would go out with his friends at night. So I think so many people would be like, what is this kid doing? He's not spending his time doing anything. And still as an adult, like he alters his own clothing and he does, he wears what he wants to wear. And, and, um, why wouldn't there's he? Just, yeah. <laughs> why, why wouldn't he? You know, he made my wedding dress, you know, like there's yeah. so much that people are able to do when they have time to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's hard to notice, like when you could just basically, he was just making art all day for him. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. it was art. He's making art all day. And then he's spending time with his friends. How is that not a value? that someone is developing and growing in that way. I mean, the competency that you feel, you'll wake up and make your own clothes for the day and then go out for the day, you know? I mean, um, and the freedom of that. So I feel like that's that's another example of just like, what if we let people live how they wanted to live? What would happen with that? You know, how could they live differently in a totally different way than we could imagine life right now? Yeah. What would the world look like if more yeah. if more people did? did things that way. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it's a big shift, a really big shift. And um, yeah, I think we often want to just fill in the time that if they're not doing something that, that this whole productive showing something to make sure that it's a value, that your time is valuable. So you have to produce in order to prove that as well. And, and, and prepare think- for some mythical, like some future. Yeah. Get prepared. Or something as a teenager yeah that's like right. your knife isn't right now yeah yeah well that is the idea is that as a young person or a teen you're preparing and living the life for the future that's going to yeah. happen yeah that is absolutely well you you know right now you're getting ready for college this is your applicant you know you got to be like earlier the better you're doing all these things now for that next part for college, for university. And then that next part is your, for your career. And then, you know, it continues on with the next step and the next step. And you don't fully appreciate the now and, and the life and the present. You know, I think that's why someone like, you know, the power of now Eckhart Tolle, all of those books seemed like a phenomenon. And, and I mean, and what he talks about, I mean, so much of it is also, I guess, many old ancient practices about being in the now, because we absolutely, it's like for so many, it's such a foreign concept that it's almost like newly invented. This is a new age thing, but really (laughs) (laughs) it's not. Yeah, it's like the most important thing, right? And I think anyone that's been home with little kids a lot <laughs> can feel into that a little bit, right? Like, you know, that difference between just trying to make it to dinner versus being mm-hmm. present in the moment with your kids. That's right. Just trying to make it to do so true. So, so true. You get to dad gets home. <laughs> yeah, almost there, almost there. So <laughs> it's funny, we're talking about time and I want to be... Um, um, I want to honor our time here as well and our day and the things that we we are next going to do. It seems so funny that I'm like, okay, and now on to the next thing. But um, <laughs> but also in order to be present as well, too, it's being aware and, and um, enjoying the time that we are with each other, which I always do. So 
Thank you so much. It's, as we talk about this, I'm like, oh, but I want to talk about the whole idea of this and this and this. So we will continue the conversation. Um, and yeah, so Joy, Liana and I are regularly on Clubhouse together in the club, honey, I'm homeschooling. So you can find us on Tuesday afternoons or evenings. If you just look at the schedule, you'll see when we are on together in a room. Um, we are going to be doing more lives, Instagram lives. So just tune in to listen to our lives and to ask questions as well. And how can anyone reach you, Liana, if they want to ask you questions about your unschooling life and and other ways that you really are okay? How can they connect with you? <laughs> I love that. So I think that people, um, they should follow me on Instagram. So it's Liana underscore Francisco. And um, that's actually, I think, one of the best ways to get in touch with me uh, because just I enjoy that messaging platform so well, those DMs, and then also, um, you know, producing more content on that also. I do have a YouTube channel as well that people can follow if they'd like to. I'll make sure to get you that link. And um, that has some homeschool interviews on it, but it's also a lot of just like lifestyle stuff, which sometimes can be so helpful for people just to feel into um, how life can be a little bit different, right? Mm. <laughs> super helpful. But Instagram is a great place where I have most of the homeschooling stuff for right now. Okay. And I'll put those links in the show notes. So anyone can go straight to the show notes for that as well. All right. Is there anything else that you would like to leave us with today? Any wise words of wisdom from Liana? Hmm. I think just the biggest piece is that it's okay to live your family's unique life. Hmm. And that your family's life doesn't have to look like anybody else's life. Your kids don't have to look like anyone else's kids. You don't have to look like any other parent. <laughs> and I know we get a lot of that like wisdom of out there right now. Um, but I don't know if we always really hear it. I think we hear that's an excuse to be exceptional or a reason how we can all be exceptional. Yeah. And um, And I think a lot of this movement with unschooling is like, if I unschool my kids, they're going to be like, really like special compared to other people, you yes. know, because they're going to find their passion or whatever it might be. And they're going to be a 13 year old, you know, neuroscientist or something. And they might be, but they also might be like a 13 year old that is in their pajamas, just like happy, happy as a pig in mud, you know, just like living right. their life. Playing Minecraft <laughs> and Fortnite and going out with their exactly. skateboard. Yeah. Just, just living their life. And um, I just encourage people to just love the kids they have and love the family they have and um and be present for every moment i think that's that's the gift of homeschooling and unschooling is our time that we have together mm. those were fantastic words to leave us with yeah. thank you i think um maybe on our next live those we can continue with that and talk about yeah and talk about that more. It's really important. And, um, and I, and I do think as well, that is sometimes going in with the idea of creating exceptional people that are absolutely special and exceptional. And we forget to accept our, our people as they are and the beauty yes. of that and the one and the joy of the relationships that we create because of accepting our, you know, our people for who they are. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a really fun. That would be a good way to talk, especially with all these new homeschoolers coming into the homeschooling community right now. That'd yeah. be really helpful. Yeah. Okay. So find us on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, we'll come hang out. All right. Thank you, Liana. 
We will talk soon. Thank you for having me. Always. This episode was brought to you by Fearless Learners by Success Codes. Book your free clarity coaching call with one of their learning success coaches at www.learningsuccessacademy.com or check out their free weekly show from Fear to Fearless on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Go to learningsuccessacademy.com. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Thank you.